please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome. It's Wednesday, the 12th of August. It's Morning Espresso. Before we get going, as usual, we have the instantaneous translations below. So if you click on the button, you'll see the different options and you can select your language there. If you have questions, you can send them via the button below and feel free to do that in your language. Um, that's fine. Uh, or you can send us uh, emails to nordeafunds at nordea.com. Right, well, this morning we are talking European covered bonds and I am joined by Henrik Stiller. Henrik is portfolio manager for the uh, various European covered bond strategies that we have. Good morning, Henrik, can you hear me? Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I hear you very well. Good, good. That's always a good start. When, you, yeah. when, we get, when we can hear each other. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you as well. Um, so normally we start off with, with something uh, a little bit, you know, about, about you and, and your, your background. And um, I don't know if you recall, but in 2018, uh, you and I spent a few days together in, in um, Berkshire in, in the UK um, at, at the uh, CityWire Fixed Income Retreat. And I don't remember how it came up, but we were, talking about Hawaii and and then it turns out that you lived there right at the beginning of your career can you tell us a bit about that yeah I mean I actually started my career as a, a pineapple trader in Hawaii uh, so, so I was there for uh, for two years trading pineapples <laughs> and <laughs> and that was a very of course it was a very interesting experience um, and um, it was my, uh, yeah, you can say my, my first entry point to, to, to trading, basically, uh, to start with pineapples. Uh, but now afterwards, I have also learned that, I mean, there are actually a lot of similarities between pineapples and cover bonds. Uh, Go on then. <laughs> I'm interested about what you're going to say now. <laughs> to, to start with, they both have very, very low volatility. I mean, pineapples are known as the low volatility king of the soft food commodity business. They are extremely, okay. have a, extremely low volatility, much lower than other soft fruits like orange juice, for example. And then, I mean, you can say that we all know that cover bonds, they have a very low default probability. And pineapples, they also have a low default probability in the sense that you can store them for very, very long periods of time. You should try that, Paul. If you put the pineapple in the fridge and see how long it can stay there without <laughs> uh, defaulting or, or being ruined or anything. They, they are a much, very, very strong uh, fruit compared to oranges for example so, so you so think <laughs> i'll still have the pineapple this time next year when we speak yeah, again. I mean, yeah. if you have a, a good storage facility <laughs> i think it's a good chance. so uh, and that's quite similar also to a cover bond yeah and I, I think also you i think it was you that told me that um 
that if someone ever tells you that onions are the only foods that make you cry, it's because they've never had a pineapple thrown at them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> anyway, enough about dodgy uh, pizza toppings. Um, maybe we should move on to uh, European covered bonds. Although, of course, you've you've already done a nice little analogy there. That was that was great. Um, so, obviously, twenty twenty came as a as a huge surprise uh, to to everybody. Um, but there's one thing that we've been preaching all along, and certainly before 2018 when we were at the fixed income event. But uh, we were saying, you know, talking about the safety and the resilience um, of the covered bond market and the downside protection that, that it offers. Um, we've got a slide that I'd, I'd like to show. Um, if we could pull that one up. Exactly. And here you see uh, European fixed income and you've got the performance there year to date. And you have the, uh, the um, European cover bonds at the top, then you have European corporate and then European high yield. And I, I just think this is an excellent slide um, just to show that resilience. And, and of course you do get a little bit of drawdown, um, but actually compared to, <laughs> to the rest of the market, it, it's minimal. Is there anything you wanted to say on this one, Henrik, before we, uh, we move on? No, but I think that uh, in the year like 2020, the, the strong features of the cover bond asset class uh, becomes very visible. Uh, I mean, and there are many reasons uh, for that, but, uh, but to start with, uh, I think, um, I mean, the, the root of this crisis, uh, I mean, is actually not at all related to the banking industry or, or to cover bonds. It's more, uh, and that's a big difference compared to, uh, for example, the financial crisis in 2008 that had its roots in the banking industry. And then you also had a larger impact on, on, on banks in, in general. Uh, but this is not the case with, uh, with, the, with this industry. And that uh, also helps uh, the cover bond market since cover bonds are issued uh, by banks. Exactly. So, so maybe now we could talk about, dive a bit more into that because there's a number of features that, that mean that you don't get these drawdowns. And, and I know you've got a slide now uh, where we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, yeah, here you can see, uh, especially the, yeah, the volatility feature of the cover bond asset class. And as you can see, it's much lower than, uh, for example, for corporate spreads and uh, uh, and sovereign spreads, so so cover bonds obviously have much lower volatility, and uh, I mean that's usually how it is when you have a, a crisis when spreads stay wide and that you have uh, a, a li the widening is uh, smaller in cover bonds and and the volatility is is also lower, and um, in this case here, uh, I mean the. In this crisis, it also became quite clear for the market participants rather early in the crisis, actually, that the default probability it did not change uh, for cover bonds due to the COVID-19 crisis. Um, but the default probability for, for many other asset classes, they actually increased uh, because, I mean, we will have a quite large slowdown of, of the world economy due to this crisis 
and that will impact, uh, I mean, many uh, firms uh, in, in many different industries, and that will also lead to higher uh, default probabilities, especially in, uh, in, in several sectors uh, of, around the world. Uh, but for cover bonds, the default probability is pretty much unchanged due to this crisis. The asset class is just as safe as it was before uh, from a regulatory perspective and, uh, and, and the, the, the damage from this crisis is not hurting, uh, it's not hurting banks and it's not hurting cover bonds either. And this is because not only the credit quality, which is, which is obviously very high, but also dual recourse um, and they're not bailable. Well, in fact, 200 years of history, we've never had a credit event in European cover bonds. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's true. That's of course also the, the track record. Uh, it, it helps a lot. And then we have the ECB, of course, that is also important because the ECB, they stepped up uh, their purchases of cover bonds very early in this crisis. Uh, and the ECB is now buying uh, around twice as many cover bonds as they did uh, in, in, the, in the beginning of the year. Uh, and the ECB is also buying corporate bonds and sovereign bonds, but there is an important difference there because no matter how many corporate bonds the ECB is buying, the default probability is still there. So with the fact that the ECB buys the bonds, it will not remove the probability of a default. So, so I think that's an important difference between cover bonds and, and other credit bonds. And, to, and compared to sovereign bonds, uh, I think it's in, important to note that there you have, on the sovereign side, you have a, a lot of issuance. And this you don't have on, on, on cover bonds where the issuance is uh, uh, much more muted. And on the chart there, you can see this is the gross purchases from the ECB uh, over the last uh, five, six years. And uh, in 2020, we expect the ECB to buy a little more than 100 billion of cover bonds, and this is the, uh, yeah, we have to go back all the way till 2015 to find the year with the same amount of purchases from the ECB. So it's a very, very uh, large increase. And also, if we look one year ahead into 2021, you can see that the ECB will continue to buy uh, maybe around 80 billion, and that's also higher than in any of the last uh, five years. So, so the ECB will continue to, to support the cover bond market for a very long time. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the issuance of cover bonds is actually going down. Uh, so far, year to date, we are running uh, around 30% below the levels in 2019 in terms of issuance. Uh, and if you compare this to the sovereign side, that's uh, very different because on the sovereign side, the the issuance of sovereign bonds uh, is increasing uh, yeah. mostly due to the the, uh, the funding of the various uh, corona uh, programs that are implemented and this this quadrupling of the uh, ecb buying within uh, the cover bond space that happened fairly quickly didn't it it wasn't some there wasn't a delay you know often the us tends to react very very quickly to to shifts in the market and, and Europe tends to lag a little bit, but in this case, they were actually pretty quick at, at stepping in. Yeah, I think the central banks, they have learned uh, at least a few things uh, from the, the crisis that we had back in 2008. And uh, one of the lessons uh, that they have learned is, is that it's 
usually better to react fast because the longer you wait, then you instead you need to implement a much larger program when you implement it. So it's better to uh, react uh, fast and then you can actually get away with a smaller program. Uh, so, so, so and, and there, BCB was actually uh, uh, faster than many other central banks in the world. If we compare, for example, to National Bank of Canada, in, in Canada, they, they waited much longer than ECB to implement uh, these type of facilities for the banks that the ECB implemented. And that had the consequence that spreads on, on Canadian cover bonds, they, they widened much more than uh, spreads uh, of cover bonds from European uh, banks. And have those spreads closed up now, uh, or do you still see an opportunity in buying Canadian cover bonds? And they still have a little more uh, to, to go, I think, but they have tightened uh, a lot, of course, but still Canadian cover bonds are trading uh, wider than uh, their European peers. And there is no, I mean, from a credit perspective, it's difficult to argue that Canadian cover bonds should trade wider than, for example, French cover bonds. The Canadian banks are very strong. The cover bonds are solid AAA rated cover bonds. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the Canadian sovereign is also uh, regard, regarded as one of the, the strongest in the world. Uh, so, so we think this spread will go back to to the levels where they where, where uh, they were trading prior to to this crisis, and then there is still some tightening potential left. Perhaps it's it's worth pointing out to people that are new to the asset class because they're probably thinking, why are you talking about Canada now? We're talking European cover bonds, but we do see uh, other countries issuing covered bonds in euros in order to access this huge, very, very liquid market. Um, perhaps this is something you could just add to that. Yeah, I think this is one of the, the most exciting features about the cover bond market that is growing very rapidly around the world. Uh, more and more countries are setting up cover bond jurisdictions. So, so we will have more and more countries to invest in. Uh, when we started to invest in, uh, in cover bonds back in 2008, then it was basically only the Scandinavian countries, French, Germany and Spain that used cover bonds. Today you have uh, cover bond uh, legislations in pretty much every country in Europe uh, and uh, new legislations are being set up uh, also uh, globally outside of Europe. Uh, so you have many new countries entering and as many new countries are entering the cover bond universe, also many new banks are entering the cover bond universe. So we also get many new issuers since we get more countries, but we also get more issuers from the existing cover bond jurisdictions. So in France and Germany, uh, Italy, Spain, we also have uh, many banks that are starting to issue cover bonds that didn't issue cover bonds before. And uh, the third point on this also that uh, cover bonds, they, I mean, there's, from the beginning, it was pretty much all the issuance was pretty much in euros, but the asset class is also growing in, into other currencies. Uh, we, of course, have, have the Scandinavian uh, currencies where we have a lot of cover bonds, but also uh, we see quite good growth now in the domestic cover bond market in the UK, for example, where we had quite a lot of issuance of cover bonds in, uh, in sterling uh, here in 2020. And also in US dollar, Australian dollar, Canadian dollar, the cover bond market is growing. 
And all this growth, both in terms of countries, issuers and currencies, actually countries, issuers and currencies, that's exactly the three areas where we generate alpha in the covered bond market. And when all these three are growing, that of course uh, is something that will continue to create opportunities for us to, to add alpha and to add performance in this asset class. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's great to see how, that, how this is evolving. And uh, of course, it's, it's interesting to see you know, how, how more and more players are coming into that market. Um, I think it's becoming a space that's being more, more and more recognized, particularly now you know, in the hunt for yield, um, where it's, it's getting very, very difficult to get high quality uh, fixed income instruments that are actually giving a positive yield, but then to be able to add alpha is, is obviously uh, fantastic. Um, obviously, you've, you've got a lot of expertise. I think you've been working with the team uh, at Nordea for, for more than 10 years now. Um, I just wondered how, how your collaboration works and how do, you, how do these uh, new ideas to generate alpha, you know, how does that come about? What's, what's the team dynamic like? Yeah, I mean, as you as you say, Paul, we have the, our cover bond team has been working together for for many years now, and, and many of us actually uh, we have been working together for more than ten years. So it's a very stable team, and we we know each other very well. And this is, of course, a very strong feature to have in an investment team. Uh, and and if you look on the portfolio management side, there on uh, on that page, you can see that we are uh, yeah, seven persons on the portfolio management side in our cover bond team. Um, and you can say that myself and and Niels Bartels, and we are a little more focused on the, on, on the euro uh, side of the cover bond market. Then we have Fleming Testup and Per Biskov. They are focusing more on the domestic Danish cover bond market. Christian Bierkehe is focusing uh, more on the Swedish and the Norwegian domestic markets. And then we have uh, Johan and Dirk who are more on the quantitative side, focusing on our risk models and to, to develop our tools that we use in the, in the portfolio management. Uh, so we all have our areas that we uh, are a bit more focused on, but we are also able to, to overlap uh, quite extensively in the team. And as you can see here, we are 10 persons totally in the cover bond team, but we also have quite a lot of other support teams uh, in the front office uh, that helps us. And we have, for example, five bank analysts in our credit team that you can see to, to the right there that are assisting us uh, when it comes to credit analysis of the banks themselves on a standalone basis. Uh, so so th this is of course very uh, important support that we have from, from the bank analysts. Uh, then we have a risk management team that are uh, delivering a lot of uh, risk data to us on, on a daily basis that's, that we use in the portfolio management as well. Uh, and we have 15 persons in our responsible investment team, our ESG team, that are doing ESG analysis on uh, all the issuers that we are uh, uh, investing in. Uh, I was going to ask that actually, because we've we've been discussing that with other portfolio managers, you know, the stars range, and it's it's a big topic, but also on the fixed income side about ESG. Is is ESG an important thing in in European covered bonds? 
Yeah, I mean, we have now integrated uh, our ESG analysis into the cover bond investment process. So ESG analysis will be part of the issuer analysis. So, so when we look at the various cover bond issuers, uh, their ESG uh, score will, will be one input that we use uh, when we select which issuers to, to buy cover bonds from. Um, and then in addition to this, we also add some cover pool ESG analysis that we do ourselves in the team. And this can be uh, that we look at the collateral in the cover pools, for example, and then see how uh, green the collateral is or how social the collateral is to, to see if there are any, uh, yeah, if we can find some uh, attractive value due to these uh, features. I think on, on the cover bond side and ESG, uh, I think it can change, but right now I think the, the most important part will be the, the governance because it's only banks that issue cover bonds and it's really the governance on the ESG side that can drive uh, spreads uh, in, in my view. So this is probably uh, where the yeah, most important focus will be on the ESG side as it is right now. But uh, yeah. our ESG team are of course covering all the ESG areas. So if this changes, we will capture uh, that as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we're seeing the political will is definitely there. And uh, so I can only guess that that will become more important as time goes on, like you say. Um, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, on the team side also, uh, yeah, if we, we can actually, if we go back to the team slide, uh, sure. we can also, um, say that we, we have also a trading team uh, yep. that uh, also supports us quite a lot on, on the trading side, 10 persons. Uh, and and uh, if you add all these resources up, we are actually almost 50 persons working uh, in our cover bond uh, wow. investment process, only in front office. So, yep. so quite a, a large amount of people involved in our uh, cover bond products. Well, I mean, it's from a commercial perspective, it's been a huge success, obviously, the last few years. And again, on that slide, it mentions you're, you're managing more than 40 billion euros now in this space. Um, that's That's been a, a huge success story um, off of the back of the team and, and the alpha that you can, can generate. So congratulations on, on that as well. Thank you, Paul. Good. So I think we're, we're getting towards the end of the session this morning. Um, we do have um, a key takeaway slide, uh, which we're seeing now. Um, as usual, Henrik, I, I always ask my guests, if you, if you want to add anything here, feel free. We'll just go through them quickly. Um, we mentioned at the beginning the fact that there hasn't been a default in more than 200 years um, of history uh, in the covered bond space. Um, and once again, you know, this COVID really has, has actually put a spotlight on European cover bonds and how resilient they are. Um, so uh, obviously we'd rather that it didn't happen, but uh, now that it has happened, you know, it just, it just really backs up what we've been saying for many years now. The ECB has come in. Uh, they've been, they've stepped up. They've quadrupled uh, the uh, the activity in the market, um, supporting, providing liquidity, um, and uh, obviously that demand in the in the covered bond market. Um, and then you know this this ability to generate alpha. Um, people 
always tend to think of emerging markets as being a, a space where alpha can be generated. I think this is another one uh, where it's a very, there's a very, very strong case for active management. And uh, I think you, Henrik, and your team, your past performance is, uh, is testament to, to that. Uh, if you've got a good team and a skilled team, then you can actually extract alpha out of this, uh, out of this space. And uh, yeah, it's something that we've been doing for many, many years. Um, we, we're very familiar with this space. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would go as far as to say we're unique. Um, I, I, you know, when, when we went to that CityWire event, it was a fixed income event. Do you remember we sat there and we had all these fixed income analysts, specialists. That's all they did do is select uh, fixed income funds. And most of them, the asset class was new to them. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and one of them was like, okay, this, this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? So I'm going to ask you, Henry, what's the catch? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think uh, the, the catch is really that uh, also in a very safe asset class as cover bonds, uh, there can always be short-term volatility. Uh, I think that's important to remember. So even though the volatility is likely to be lower than in, in more risky asset classes, uh, it, it can still be there. Um, and I think that the, the, the foundation of our cover bond investment process is really the asset class itself, uh, that we have such a safe asset class with low volatility and that we then are able to, to add quite a lot of alpha on, on top of that. And um, Especially, I think both this year, 2020, and also 2018 are both years when we had uh, a credit widening. So credit spreads, they widened both in 2018 and also year to date uh, this year. Uh, but despite that, we have been able to, to add uh, quite significant amount of alpha in both these years, this, despite that we had uh, years with credit widening. And this, I think, shows the resilience in the alpha generation that we're not only adding alpha in years when spreads are tightening. Exactly. And on that note, I think we'll draw to a close. So thank you very much, Henrik, uh, for joining us today. Um, and next week, on the 19th of August, we'll be running our second session on um, EU financial regulation and the emphasis that they're place, placing on uh, ESG. Um, you still have time to send us your questions. Remember, in the last, in the first session we did, um, we talked about you know getting input from you. If you've got questions um, about the EU regulation and ESG matters, then please do send them in, and we'll try and integrate those into the discussion. Uh, next week. You can do that again to Nordea Funds at Nordea.com. And as I said before, feel free if you're Italian or Spanish and you feel more comfortable writing in those languages, send us your questions in your, in your mother tongue. That's no problem at all. Um, and we'll make sure that we address those in the second session with Michael Mordener next week. That's it for today. Thank you for your time. See you next week. Thank <laughs> you.